You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. My name is Brandon. I am a pastor at Sojourn Heights. If you are new or reasonably new, you may not know that, uh, that if you're a part of Sojourn Montrose, you're, you're a part of this um, broader family that we call Sojourn Houston that includes Sojourn Heights. Sojourn Montrose, obviously, Sojourn Spring Branch, and, uh, and Sojourn uh, Galleria. We love it. Uh, we love what we do. We love uh, being one and four at the same time. We think it's this beautiful picture of the bride of Christ living herself out in unity inside the city of Houston. And so that's that. All right. As he said, we're in Lamentations. We've been in Lamentations for the season of uh, Lent uh, that... Uh, Lamentations is these five poems lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of Babylon. And today we hit chapter five, and so let's get started. This week I was at a funeral, uh, this beautiful, ornate building, uh, and at the end of the funeral, this, the son came up uh, talking about his mom, and, and as he talked about her, it was beautiful and emotional and, you know, all things that that moment is. Uh, and at the end of the talk, he, he said this. He said, uh, and let me tell you something else about my mom. My mom had a vision for her life. She had vision for her life. And her vision for her life gave me vision for my life. And it got me thinking. All of us. All of us have vision for our life. Right, starting back in childhood, we had, I'm going to be this when I grew up, right? So in this room, it was, it was what? I'm going to be a... No, that's for y'all. Like, when I do that, that means y'all come back at me. It's going to be a, okay, uh, more enthusiasm. Or I get Lamentations has been long, but a little more enthusiasm. I heard astronaut. That's not on here. Uh, I don't have that one written down. I have fireman. Um, I, I want to be an actress or an actor. For me, it was NBA. I'm going to play in the league, baby. Um, but I'm six foot. Not going to happen. I haven't given the dream up completely, but I don't think it's going to happen. But then we become an adult, and that vision doesn't go anywhere, right? It just shifts and it changes. So all of us in this room, we look into our future. We, we, we have a picture of what our life is going to be like. We, we think about the next 10, 20, 30 years, and we see our life unfolding a certain way. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have the career that I've always wanted. For some, we might still be chasing fame, but my life is going to unfold a certain way. But here's what no one's ever said, at least not to me. Uh, when I think about my future, when I dream about what my days are going to be like, you know what I see? You know what I see? B? That's Brandon shorthand. B? You know what I see? I see cancer. I see suffering. And let me tell you what, when it's my turn, like I'm going to knock it out of the park. Like I'm going to be the best cancer patient there ever was. Never had anybody say that to me. Not once. Here's the deal. Most of us grew up in a fairly Western culture. And in our Western culture, we don't don't just not value suffering, we ignore suffering. We run from suffering. And listen, there are cultures in the world that value suffering, that see suffering as part of human flourishing and how we live this full life. The tears of it are part of this full life, and if I don't feel those tears, I haven't lived a full life. There are cultures like that in the world. Ours is not one of them. And in our culture, we run from it. 
We escape. And so our first reaction is we do whatever we can to avoid the pain. And we say things like this. Hey, Brandon, thank you for doing the funeral for my ex. But if you could, we, we, we don't want the funeral to be a funeral. We want it to be a celebration. But eventually the celebration comes to an end and we realize it really was a funeral. And we can't escape any longer. And since we tried escaping, here's what winds up happening. We wind up crushed under the weight of suffering and the collapsing of our dreams. So for some of us, man, it's not a funeral for somebody else, but some of us is going to wake up 10 years from now still single. And all the visions I have for my life are going to come crashing down and I'm going to have to live under the weight of that. And I wind up crushed. For Israel, Israel was living in a day when there's no point trying to escape anymore. The the weight of collapsing, this is what my life could have been like, they are living under the weight of it. Crushed. Collapsed. And in chapter 5, we get this holistic picture of social, uh, emotional, spiritual crumbling and collapsing as it unfolds into a climactic verse that's unlike any other climactic verse you've probably read. All right, let's get started. Verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. If you want to understand the book of Lamentations, you have to read Lamentations like a person, not like an academic. It's poetry. It's not a textbook. We have to put ourselves in their shoes. Take ourselves out of our Western uh, Montrose urban core, cool hip neighborhood context and put ourselves in their shoes and feel what they must have felt when they're crying out, remember us, Lord. Remember, redeem us. Lord, enter into our situation and redeem us, Lord. Remember, we're still your people. It might be helpful for you um, to try to, in order to put yourself in their shoes, think about um, like the lowest point in your life. Like that moment where all you could do was cry out. No other option, no left, no right. I have exhausted all options. Crying out is all I can do. For me, it was uh, seven years ago, six years ago, five years ago. I don't really know how long ago. Uh, I'm standing on a train station platform. My wife and two of our now four kids are standing there with me. And I get a phone call. uh, And it's a doctor on the other end that says, hey, that what we thought was just a, a really minor cyst is actually a rare malignant tumor, and we need you to get to the Baylor Hospital as soon as we can. And in that moment, like you hear the word cancer, in that moment, all of a sudden, I'm sweating, my hands are shaking, because here's the deal. I, I've got a vision for my life too. I have a vision for my life. I, I want to watch, I'm pointing here because it's my wife and kids, don't think I'm just picking random people. <laughs> I, I want to watch my kids grow up. I want to watch them graduate from high school and college. I want to watch my daughter get married when she's 40. I want to see that. I want to be there. I I want to be 70, 80, crotchety and angry, drinking coffee with my wife. That's what I want. I've got a vision for my life too. And in that moment, in that moment, let me tell you what, that vision just flashes before your eyes as you realize you might not get to experience it. And so with myself, with ourself in their shoes, verse 2, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. The inheritance was a promised land that God had said, I'm going to give you my 
people and that, that land was a sign. It was a sign that I'm with you. I've not forsaken you. I'm, I'm with you. You're in the land that I'm going to give you. It's going to be a good, good life. And so for them, uh, the land being turned over, being crushed, desolate. It was what it felt like the Lord has forsaken us. It's that lowest point looking around and saying, God, even there, like in the middle of it, in the middle of, in the middle of a phone call that you never expected to get, Lord, are you there? In the middle of, man, I, I am lonely. I haven't been on a date in five years, Lord. I am lonely. I keep getting passed over for the promotion. Like there's no way they are a better employee than I am. Why do they keep getting promoted and I don't? In the middle of, in the middle of, I grew up with a distant dad. I grew up with a dad who is just emotionally far from me, and I'm living in the wreckage of it right now. In fact, if we're honest, if I'm, if I'm honest, Lord, it's why I don't live in Friendswood near them. It's why I came to Montrose. But I'm living in the rubbles of it right now. Let's keep going. Verse 3. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. I mean, this is, this is absolute desperation that they're feeling, they're experiencing, they're living through. In the middle of their desperation, we have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. And here's the thing about Egypt and Assyria. These aren't just enemies. These aren't just enemies. These are former captors. And in the middle of, we become orphans. We're like widows at the pay for water. In the middle of that desperation, they went crawling back, not just to enemies, but to former captors. This is essentially them re-enslaving themselves, which is not that different than what we do, right? So we don't have Egypt, like we don't crawl back to Egypt or Assyria for bread, but let me tell you what we do. We run back to our own Egypt or to our own Assyria. And if I could talk to the men first, men in the room, and the illustration I'm going to give, I am fully aware, is not only a male illustration, ladies, but I'm going to talk to you guys in a second. Men in the room, it's as if it's when God begins to bring freedom and a little bit more freedom and a little bit more freedom from that addiction to pornography that has gripped you from the age of 12, and then all of a sudden you go running back just one more time. Just one more time. Just one more time. One more time. It's you re-enslaving yourself. And if I could... There are some of us in this room, and I'm aware, not only pornography is not a male issue alone, I'm aware of that, but to the men specifically right now, there are some of us in this room, men, uh, who in 10 years or in 20 years, you're going to have an affair because you think one more time is no big deal. I, I pray desperately that's not true, but you need to know that if you think one more time one more time. What's one more time? I mean, this will be the last time. It's just, this is it. Last time. After this, never again. There, there is 
damage coming for you in 10, 20 years where others are going to feel the effect and the weight of your sin today. Ladies, ladies, it's, it's as if it's when, when God begins to bring a little bit of freedom and a little bit of freedom and a little bit of freedom to that compulsive, comparative body image thing that you live with. And then after freedom has been brought a little bit, you begin starving yourself and calling it a diet. And if you don't think, if you don't think the undercurrent of that is as damaging as the dude's undercurrent to pornography, you're fooling yourself. Lamentations has been fun, has it not? <laughs> this is joy, joy. Good times. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, our fathers sinned and are no more. And we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because the sword, because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with a burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Not even a slave. We're not even slaves. Like, like in the uh, hierarchy of society, we're not even slaves. We report to slaves. I have a boss in society, and it's a slave. They're ruling over us. And in Zion, Zion, this place where the temple was, where God was dwelling, where, where justice was meant to reign, like the kind of justice that the world was meant to, to experience was supposed to be lived out in Zion. In Zion, our women are being raped. You want to talk about the pinnacle of injustice in a place that was meant to be the pinnacle of justice. And you see how it began? In verse 7, our fathers sins, and we bear their iniquities. I can't help but imagine this. Like if I if I'm sitting in their shoes, if I'm, if I'm sitting in their shoes right there and I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at, I'm having coffee in a, I, don't, I doubt they had coffee shops, but whatever was left in Jerusalem, they're sitting in a circle, they're drinking their coffee, they're looking at the women in their city, some of whom had been raped. I can't help but imagine them feeling like this is not fair. They did this to somebody else did this, brought this destruction on us, and now we're living in the aftermath of it. This is not fair. It's not fair. Why? Why us? Why me? I think it is a perfectly reasonable, and I, if I'm in their shoes, I can't help not feeling that. Let's keep reading, verse 12. Princes are hung, hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. These young men carrying wood that they're not meant to carry, loaded on them. Princes having stakes driven through their hands. This is royalty being treated like a common criminal. This, this, this is the complete upheaval of society. 
This is the complete inversion of the social order, the way it was meant to be. And now, Jeremiah, the author of Lamentations, in this last poem, he, he turns internally, goes from, this is, this is society's destruction and all the problems we're living with, and he takes a quick shot inside at the heart of the people. Verse 14, The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. I can't say it enough that if we're going to understand this book, we have to put ourselves in their shoes where they're sitting around looking at one another going, remember, like, remember, remember when we were happy? Like, remember those days we used to dance, like you would play music, Brandon, it wasn't that good, but, but we would let you play, and we would sing along, and then you would start singing, we'd all stop, because, bro, you can sing, and like, that's how we would live, we were happy. Do you remember those days? Israel is like the married couple who's sitting around going, remember when we were happy? You remember those days, like, remember when we were, we were dating? Remember when we were on dates, where, like, we'd go out, it was remember our third date, like, you would like you would say something, it wasn't funny, but I'd laugh anyway because I'm like, oh, I've got to, and he won't like me if I don't, and so, and you thought I wanted someone with humor, and so you were cracking jokes, most were inappropriate, but I just went along, and you remember, that was so fun, you remember those days? Oh, it was a good time. Remember how you used to get nervous around me? You remember that? No, no engaged couple ever says this. Seven years from now, it's going to fall apart. I'm going to soak it in now while it's good, but seven years, we're done. When you're engaged, you have visions of happiness and sex. A lot of happiness and a lot of sex. But for some, for some, that vision comes crashing down on the honeymoon. It comes crashing down on the honeymoon, and all we're left with is memories of days gone by. In Israel, they're living after the honeymoon has crashed, living in memories of days gone by, trying to remember when it was good. But like the married couple living off memories, they are emotionally at zero. They're empty. They're bankrupt. But it gets worse. Let's keep reading. The crown as he shifts to spiritual, this complete spiritual crumbling that's happened. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. What sin? What sin is he talking about? This was last week, but it's a sin of offering ourselves, our heart, our worship to other gods. That what they were doing, what Israel was doing at the time, is they would take these little carven images. They would create these carved images. They would bring them into the temple, and they would worship those gods in the temple where the true God was meant to be worshipped. They're coming in, offering their life to other gods. And what we don't have, uh, what we don't have in this room is we don't have statues, we don't have carved images that we worship, uh, but we certainly have counterfeit gods, do we not? Right, whatever it is that we trust, whatever it is that we love, whatever it is that we hope to get, that will give us meaning and purpose and satisfaction, the thing that makes life worth living, that thing that I can't have I can't live without, that's my God that I'm bowing down to. So what we don't do is we don't go to Philly, we don't run up the stairs and bow down to the statue of Rocky Balboa, which 
Have y'all seen the Rocky movies? Like, is that? Okay. Um, we'll pick a new analogy next time. All right. <laughs> we don't have sex goddesses that we worship, but we've got our marriage. We've got the idea of getting married. We've got our jobs. And here's the reality. Let, let, me, let me say this. Some of us in this room, some of you, some of you, let me tell you why Lamentations is a relevant book for you. Because some of you, you are desperately trying to get married. Like you, you are single and all you do is try to get unsingle. And here's why. It, it's not just because I want a mate or a spouse or someone to live life with, to, to enjoy the Lord with, someone that I think is going to help me follow Jesus better. I'm looking for a Jesus. I'm looking for a Redeemer. I'm looking for someone who will step in and fix what's broken inside of me. And one day, you're going to live in the aftermath of having gotten what you wanted when you find out it doesn't work. And you're going to need lamentations. And when you look for a redeemer in a person or in a job or in a bank account or in a you name it, it's going to lead you exactly where it led Israel in verse 17. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. You make something not God your God, and it's like injecting cancer into your soul. It slowly eats away until you are spiritually dead. Dead. But here we get to verse 18, and here in verse 18 we have our climactic verse in the chapter, and probably the climactic verse in the Bible. So our heart has become sick, our eyes have grown dim, for Mount Zion Shorthand for the temple, where the temple dwells. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, and jackals prowl over it. There it is. An awfully depressing climax. The temple, the place where God was meant to dwell among us, among your people, the way that we know you are here and with and among us, is that there's a temple, a temple where you dwell but you're not there, it's destroyed, and animals are prowling around, hovering over your temple. And for them, for the Jew living in this, it would have felt like God has completely forsaken us. The temple, it's how we knew God was present. He was with us. And so I want us to imagine this. Let's, let's get into our mind's eye. Let's get out of western uh, Houston Montrose context. Let's transport ourselves back into their shoes. It's 550 BC. It's 550 BC. We're sitting under a tree. I'm 27 years old. I'm under a tree. My entire life, all I have known is utter destruction. And I'm sitting there and we're, we're talking. We're talking about the stories that our parents told us. Stories of when life wasn't like this. When our city was full and people were here and there were good coffee shops, there were good restaurants, we did sing and we danced. We're telling stories about the good old days and then all of a sudden one of them says, hey, did you, did you hear that Jeremiah wrote a letter? I think it's five poems. They're calling it Lamentations and they're sending it to us. And then you get that letter and you're reading Lamentations and you're looking around at nothing but destruction, and you have read the entire book line by line, poem after poem, and then here 
you've hit after 150 verses. The last one is the temple has been destroyed and there are wild animals prowling around over it. If there is no greater evidence that God has forsaken me than God has forsaken us than this, there isn't going to be one. And now let's imagine. We've stopped reading here for a reason. Let's try to feel what they would have felt as they hit verse 151. But you, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Like, ima- like imagine their shoes. You're what? Like, are you kidding me? This is utterly ridiculous. Your city Your temple, it has been completely destroyed. And you reign? You reign for for nothing you reign. Are you kidding me? Your throne endures. We don't even have a king. Our king is run off. We don't even have a king. Your throne what? How is it possible? How is it possible to make this statement? How is it possible? This could be in here because on the surface, in their shoes, it is utterly ridiculous. The temple destroyed and you reign forever cannot be simultaneously true unless. Unless. Unless some of what they were living through wasn't just about them. Unless some of what they were living through was a living foreshadow of one who was to come. Unless the prince in verse 12 wouldn't be the last prince to have stakes driven through his hands. Unless the prince wouldn't be the last man of royalty to be treated like a common criminal. That there would become silence for hundreds of years after this and then God would break in, bust into the silence with Jesus coming from heaven to earth and He would go to a cross and He would hang on that cross and He would be the true prince who would have Stakes driven through his hands. He would be divine royalty treated like a common criminal. It can't possibly be true. Verses 18 and 19 unless. Unless it was a foreshadow and foretaste of one who was to come. And in that moment, and in that moment, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he was entering into the pain of his people. And because He's entered into the pain of His people, we can enter into their pain with them. We can close out the book with them. Verse 20. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to Yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless You have utterly rejected us. And you remain exceedingly angry with us. Restore us. Restore us, Lord. Renew us. Restore us back to Yourself. Don't forget us. You know, one of the things that I love so much and appreciate so much about the Bible is its complete and utter honesty. The Bible doesn't run from pain. It runs into the pain. It takes the pain and runs toward the Lord with us. And so there's this honest, like, like, Restore us. Don't forget us. Don't forget, unless you've already forgotten us forever, but trust us. Remind us. Remind, 
Remember us, Lord. Restore us. Don't forget us. Restore us. Don't forget us. Unless you're exceedingly angry with us, that at the heart of biblical lament is a redemptive honesty. It's this merging of pain and trust together. In real life, it looks like a marriage is falling apart and crying out, Lord, I don't want this. This is awful. Why? Why, Lord? And I trust you to fix it. I know you can restore this marriage. Restore us. Fix this. Heal this. Loneliness crippling into us. That It, it looks like that longing to be married that can be so consuming. And it looks like us not having to pretend but crying out to the Lord, listen, I'm lonely and it hurts and I trust you in the middle of it. It doesn't look like this. Us using trite little one-liners to try to convince ourselves that it doesn't hurt. It doesn't look like, well, hey, it's no big deal. I don't want to, I want to be married anyway. Ain't no man out there good enough for me. The problem is the women. I'm just focusing on my career right now anyway. And I'm not saying that you're not focusing on your career right now. Here's what I am saying. We both know that that's deflection from the pain you feel. At the heart of biblical laments is a redemptive honesty that the Lord is a Father, a good Father that we can trust and a good Father that can handle our honesty. So here's how I want to land the plane. Here's what I want to do. So I want to land the plane of our series of our Lamentations series. I want to land it with a question. Why a series on the book of Lamentations? Why a series on the book of Lamentations? Because let me tell you what we know. As one of the pastors, let me tell you what we know. If you're trying to build a crowd, Lamentations is not the way to do it. We are fully aware of that. So why Lamentations? Why a full season of Lent in the book of Lamentations? Here's why. Reason one, if we're going to be holistic Christians, people who know how to follow Jesus through all of life, and we're not going to be the kind of Christians who just live on Romans 8, who open up Romans 8 and go, I'm a conqueror, baby. God has made me a conqueror. You know what? I don't pray, God, this hurts. I pray, God, I'm a conqueror, and I don't feel pain. If we're not going to be Romans 8 only Christians, we need to know how to lament. Because when suffering comes... Lamentations is how Christ forms us through it. Reason two, you know what's coming next? Easter. And after that, you know what? A series on revival. And we are going to beg and pray and plead, oh God, revive our hearts. Revive the hearts of Sojourn Montrose, Sojourn Heights, Sojourn Spring Branch, Sojourn Galleria, every future sojourn that there might be in the church in Houston. We're going to beg God to do it. And maybe, just maybe, in some of your hearts, He might actually do it. But if we don't have language for the pain that we walk through, if we don't have language for lamenting, you know how long that revival is going to last? Right up until suffering comes. And what's not going to happen is that reviving of your heart that we want to see overflow in our neighbors that might revive their heart that overflows into their neighbors? It's going to get crushed under the weight of 
I don't know what to do with this pain. And a revival might last for a year, might last for two, but, but the minute you get sick of being single and don't know where to turn, or the minute you lose the parent that you never really had a relationship with, the one that you so desperately wanted to that you spent your adult years trying to fill the gap of, and you don't know what to do with that, but the minute seven years from now, your spouse looks at you and says, I'm done. To be honest, I've been done for a long time. In fact, I've had an affair. And you don't know how to lament that kind of brokenness? The day it's your turn to get the call, you're probably not on a train somewhere because we don't have that in Houston. That day that suffering is coming and listen, I, I can look around the room. I am 39, which I don't have grandkids. Like I'm not wise old gray hair stage. I've got, I've got gray eyebrows, not hair. That was TMI. So sorry about that. <laughs> but when that day comes and for some of you, listen, because I can see the age of us in the room. We, we think of suffering as this imaginary thing that happens to other people. And for some of us, it is coming far sooner than we think it is. And if we don't have language, if we don't know that Lamentations is for us, there wasn't just this book written to Israel back in the day, but we're not Israel, we're the church. Jesus has already died to fix all the problems of Israel. Of lamentations. If we don't have language for how to lament biblically with this redemptive honesty, then we either have to do one of two things escape until the escape crashes, and then we wind up crushed under the weight of the brokenness of life in a fallen world. So, why lamentations? Because we need. Lamentations. Because we need to know how to lament. To have language for how to live in the midst of brokenness. In light of the mercy and grace of God that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are good, you are merciful, and you are gracious. I, I pray, Lord, that some of the things that are such weighty warnings would be things that none of us would ever walk through. I pray and I ask that none of us, that none of us in here would feel the weight of cancer, that we, we would grow old and crotchety and angry, delighting in you. I pray that none of us would feel the weight of a conversation of a spouse that says, I'm out. I pray none of us would, would feel what it looks like to live our entire life so desperately wanting something that, that we don't have. I, I pray we don't have to walk through that. But Lord, if you so desire and will that we do, may we have language and handles to know how to lament in the middle of it that we might be able to live a redemptive honesty so that you might create beauty in the midst of brokenness. 
pray in Christ's name. Amen.